0: And we are privileged to have Scott DeWitt here to preach with us. Go ahead and come on up, Scott. Scott was on staff here at FCC when I was in junior high. And uh, you've been down there for 11 years now? 11 years. And so uh, would you please welcome Scott?
1: Good morning. Can you hear me? I got this thing on. All right. All right. Uh, well, I'm excited to be here. Um, this is home for us, so it's, it's good to be back. It was good to be here for VBS this week. It was, um, I definitely realized my calling is not standing in front of 16, 2 and 3 year olds, or 3 and 4 year olds uh, talking to them. Uh, thankfully, my wife has that gift. Uh, we told her all week, she, her teacher voice that she talks to the kids in is fantastic. Um, I have never experienced the teacher voice. I don't get the teacher voice at home. I told her, can you please talk to me in the teacher voice because it's more soothing and it makes me feel, makes me feel more loved, but she won't, she won't talk to me <laughs> in the teacher voice. So she says, I don't have a teacher voice, and everyone around were like, yeah, you do have a teacher voice. Um, anyway, maybe someday you'll get to experience it too. It's pretty fantastic, but I think I may have heard it for the last time. Um, but man, we had a good week. We, we got to share with the kids and talk to them about what um, Casas Por Cristo is and um, we shared with them about the houses we build and why we build them. We tried to instill in them that it's about building a house but it's about sharing the gospel with families and that's what we do. And We showed them how big the houses were and we did some different things. Thankfully my wife's a teacher. I was like I don't know what I'm going to say to these kids for five days for 15 minutes every day but um, she helped me come up with the stuff, and, and we did good. We taught him some Spanish words and talked to him uh, about houses. And I asked, uh, I asked McCoy Moody about building a house. I said, your dad just recently built a house, didn't he? It's not finished. That's what he said. It's not finished. <laughs> so it was a good week. We, we had some laughs, and we, we learned about Jesus, and it was fun to be with the kids for a week. And I also told several people that First Christian Church in Clinton is the only church that I would come and do VBS for. I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I'm, I believe it is the only church that I would come and do VBS for. So we're going to be looking at John, the fifth chapter, um, this morning. Uh, so if you want to turn there, we're going to be talking about the story uh, of Jesus in the pool of Bethesda. Um, it's one of my favorite stories, and so we're going to share a little bit about, about that this morning. A couple things real quick that I want to share. and We're going to kind of um, break this passage down a little bit. I think there's a lot of interesting things in there. One of the things I think it's important for us to know when we start looking at the Gospels is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? are the Gospel, the books of the Bible that we refer to as the Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we refer to as synoptic Gospels. That is, they follow the story of Jesus basically from the time of his birth until the time of his death, pretty much in chronological order. The book of John is what we call a prognostic Gospel. And that means it doesn't necessarily fall follow jesus's life from his birth to his death in exact order now why is that important it's important because sometimes some of the things in john seem like if you're trying to compare them which we did a lot in bible college back when i was in bible college they called it the harmony of the gospels and you would look at the gospels as they lined up and sometimes where john's stories were some of the stories aren't found in the other gospels or whatever this is one of those stories that kind of comes might seem like it's out of place or out of order a little bit for where it falls Um, but all of those stories are in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow, like I said, from the beginning to the end, kind of in order, where John tells his stories in a way that he is always pointing you to the cross. Not that the other ones don't, but his is written in a way, purposefully, pointing you towards the cross of Christ, and that's how he wrote his gospel. Why, I don't know, I wasn't there, but, um, when you read, that's what they tell you, that's what they do, so... I'm no great theologian, but that's uh, pretty much how John lays out. So I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to kind of go through some stuff that I think is kind of cool. So I'm just going to read uh, Matthew, uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain times into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity of 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had, he had already already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, Who has cured you? It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, Who is this man? Who said this to you? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn into the multitude that was in that place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, it was a few years ago, um, a youth minister friend of mine, who has become a friend of mine, uh, brought a group down um, from Pennsylvania down to build a house with us. And we'd sit at night and talk after the build was over, we'd hang out in the evenings, eat dinner and stuff, and one of the conversations that we got on one day was about scripture and about um, just reading the scriptures and how we read them and look at them and um, he said a couple things that I thought were, that were really interesting. Um, things that you kind of, well, when you hear him, you know him, but you don't really think about them too much. He said, one thing he said was, you know, that Bible, the Bible, every, God doesn't waste words. And every word in that Bible is important. Every word. Now, when you say that, you're like, yeah, I mean, every word. But, no, every word. Every word. There's no wasted words in there. From the words that connect sentences together to whatever, there, there's no wasted words. And I thought, wow, well, that's, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah. But that's deep, right? I mean, it is to me anyway, maybe not to you. Maybe you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. But there's no wasted words in there. They're all there for a purpose. He didn't waste time and the things that he gave us, they're all important. Every one of them, from the these and the ats, to the therefores, to the sheep's gate, to the pool of Bethesda, to whatever's in there, they're all important. And then he said something else that I, you know, but you don't think about a lot. He said, then every word in there is there for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is point, to point us towards Christ. And I thought, you know, you don't think about it sometimes. And he, he said, I've been reading the scriptures in those two contexts now, and it's opening my eyes to things. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna really make a concentrated effort to do that when I read the scriptures, is to look at them in these two ways. That There's no wasted words. And that every single story, everything in there is pointing me towards Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross. And so when I did that, I, I came back to this story that I read before. And, um, man, it opened my eyes to some stuff that I hadn't seen before. And so I want to share some of that stuff with you today and some lessons. There's three lessons I think that we can carry with us out of here. And some really cool stuff that I get, I get kind of pumped up about. Um, and so it's, it's one of my favorite stories. The more I read it, the more I look deeper, the more I see what it says, and understand why it says it. And so I wanna wanna connect some dots uh, for you guys today, maybe that you hadn't thought about before and something that you may have not seen when you read this story. I'm gonna preempt it with a couple things. When I read the passage, some of you, if you read along, you may have noticed that your versions didn't say that an angel of the Lord came down, stirred the waters and the first person in there. Some versions, for whatever reason, leave that out. Theologians have differing opinions on this, whether it was in the Greek text or wasn't in the Greek text, it was inferred. One thing's for sure, that this pool of Bethesda was known as a place that people believed that an angel of the Lord came and stirred. That's why the, every version says, every translation says that a multitude of people, the lame, the blind, the sick, they laid in there because they believed that the angels of the Lord came down and stirred the water and the first person in it was getting healed. So whether or not it says it or not, the belief was there, the myth, the legend, whether it was true or not doesn't really matter, but they believed that and that's why they gathered there. Okay? so. One of the things, one of the first things, is it mentions the Feast of the Jews. Up at the very very beginning of the passage, it says, after this, there was a Feast of the Jews. Now, what Feast of the Jews? There were a lot of different ones. A lot of theologians differ opinions on this. But one of the reasons why it's important to know that John is a prognostic gospel and not a synoptic gospel is because a lot of them believe That because it is a gospel that doesn't write everything right in order that this feast of the Jews was the Passover other ones say maybe not maybe it was maybe it wasn't no one knows for sure but I think intend to believe that it was the Passover and the Passover is important and it was really important is important for us because what was the Passover the Passover was the feast the celebration that they celebrated when they came out of Egypt and got away from the Egyptians and out from underneath their rule and it was also the time that they celebrated when god delivered them from the angel of death right when moses told them go back to your homes kill your kill the perfect lamb uh without blemish all that stuff take the blood paint it over your doorposts and your house will be passed over and that was the night when all the firstborn males of all the families of egypt lost that person but the israelites all of them were preserved that followed those orders this was the feast that they celebrated those things And so, it happened, he says, at the beginning there, I think, at the Feast of the Jews, this was the Passover, okay? Jerusalem, it happened in Jerusalem. Why does he tell us it happened in Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was an important city, right? It's where the temple was. The city of Nehemiah, the story about the temple, if you can see up here, it's pretty pretty small, but you can see where the Pool of Bethesda lays, the Sheep Gate. This is the city of Jerusalem and how it was laid out. The story in the book of Nehemiah tells us about the rebuilding of the wall, right? It had been destroyed by the Babylonians and had been left in ruins until the king of Persia. And the king of Persia allowed Nehemiah to return to rebuild the wall because that was what he felt like God was leading him to do. And he went to the king and the king gave him permission. The king soft, God softened his heart to let Nehemiah go back and do that. <clears throat> It's the city where the temple was, like I said, the place where people brought things. Uh, They would travel a long, long way, some people, uh, days, once a year, to get back to the temple so that they could give their annual sacrifice for the atonements of their sins from that last year. And they would come, and they would give that sacrifice, and the priests would perform the rituals. So Jerusalem was an important city in the life of the Jews at that time. Now, the Sheep Gate, why in the world? I I looked at this and looked at this and looked at this, and I'm like, why why is the author of John, why is John telling us about the Sheep Gate? Who cares where the Sheep Gate is? It's near the Sheep Gate. Okay, whatever. You know, it's a pool near the Sheep Gate. What's up with that? Who cares? Well, the Sheep Gate, interestingly, is only mentioned four places in Scripture. It's mentioned three times in the book of Nehemiah and once here in the book of John. Okay it's the place where the reconstruction of the wall around Jerusalem began and ended so when they started to rebuild the wall if you look in Nehemiah the third chapter and you start to read you'll see that that's where they started the rebuilding of the wall and it's where if you follow it all the way around through Nehemiah its back finishes at the sheep's gate so they they rebuild it and it finishes starts and it finishes there at the sheep's gate it's also the gate Where sheep entered into the outer part of the temple. So, it's the only place sheep could enter. Because like I said, a lot of people who traveled to Jerusalem came from a very, very long way away. And oftentimes, they wouldn't bring anything to sacrifice for their sin because they knew that when they got there, there would be something to buy. And so they would come into the outer courts of the temple, and they could go and they could buy a a lamb or whatever and have it to have sacrificed on their behalf. But this gate near the pool of Bethesda is the only place that those sheep were allowed to enter into the outer temple area. Now, I don't know if you find that interesting or not, but I did. The gate and its function is, I believe, a picture of Jesus, the place the Lamb of God enters to be slaughtered for the forgiveness of our sins, all right? Then the pool of Bethesda. Why is that important? It was a place of healing. It was a place people believed healing was happening. That's why people laid there, hundreds and hundreds of people probably. Um, it, was a, it was a really big place. As you can see, it was two, two large pools um, that had walkways laid all around it in stair-step fashion that people would lay in. Um, this man had been there for 38 years. He believed enough that he laid there every day hoping that someone would help him get pushed into the pool uh, when it got stirred up. Its meaning, if you translate that word Bethesda out, it means a place of kindness. Or another translation is a place of mercy. So the pool of Bethesda, a place of mercy. So I want you to keep those things in mind. We're gonna come back to them in a little while. Uh, but I think those are some pretty cool things about this story. There's three lessons in here that I want you to that I want you to get that I want I want them to stick with you. The first one is the sick need healing. Now we see here in this story how the man is sick. He's been sick for 38 years. He's an invalid, he can't walk, he's laid by the pool. Uh, but it wasn't just about physical sickness. The sickness that Christ came to heal was a sickness of a heart condition, the sickness of sin. Of course, we all many of us know Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the next verses are equally as important. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because his In his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven, right? That's the basic teaching of what we believe, that our sins are forgiven because of what Christ did. This man that day, they asked him, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? That word well in Greek could also be translated as whole. He asked him, Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be complete? Do you want to be whole? Not simply asking if you want your physical illness healed, but do you want to be made whole in Christ? Matthew 9, 12 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. I, and all of you, whether you know it or not, fall into the category of sick. We're sick. We're sick. We're full of sin. And we forget that a lot of times. We, we sometimes, as a church, as, as the church, not this church, but as the church, uh, on a broader scope, and especially as the American church, I think, we get the attitude that we got it right, and they got it wrong. Everyone else. We're good, you're bad. We're safe, you're not. We're going to heaven, you're going to hell. And we oftentimes forget, man, we're as sick as they are. And the only difference that we have is Christ. That because of him, because of what he did for us, because he died on the cross, that that's what sets us apart from them. Because we have redemption in that. But we forget that we're sick, I was laying in bed, we've had, uh, we've had some stuff going on at our ministry that's happened and, and has happened over the last few days. It's, some stuff's been coming out since I've been gone. And I've been getting a lot of text messages and phone calls and stuff. And um, Thankfully, it's nothing that directs, is on my field, but there's a couple people in our ministry that have had some stuff that they've done. and uh, We're having to deal with it. We're having to, uh, we're having to hold them accountable. We're having to uh, discipline them uh, in Christ's love. Um, and it's it's difficult you know when i was laying in bed i woke up about 2:30 last night it's really this, this stuff's got me sick to my stomach um because of just what it is and how what there was what we're going through because anytime you have to do this stuff it's not easy right when we when we have to try and love on somebody through discipline it's really difficult and um i'm laying in bed last night and i'm just thinking you know we had had a couple text messages back and forth with some of the leadership and some conversations and they're trying to respect me being gone and um I can't stay out of it uh, just because that's who I am, so I, I reached out to one of the people and tried to talk to them, and the answer I got back from them wasn't what I wanted to hear when I reached out to them, you know, I wanted them to, I wanted to be able to read tears through a text message, I guess, you know, I wanted to hear remorse, I wanted to hear sorrow, I wanted to hear that they were, that they understood that they were, they were sick and they needed a healing. And I didn't hear that back, and I told my wife, I was telling Johnna, I was like, that's what I'm most concerned about. Like, I mean, sin is sin, That's over here. But what I'm most worried about right now is, like, nobody screws up more than me. You know, no one screws up more than I do. And I've had my share of things over the last 11 years that I've had to be, my boss has had to hold me accountable for and discipline me on and talk to me about. And I think I've learned the older I get to swallow my pride, to cry to God, to say I'm sorry, and, and move forward with that stuff. And and honestly, that's the only reason I'm at the ministry still is because when I make mistakes, God has humbled my heart enough most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, to be able to say, yeah, I screwed up, you know, I need I need to learn from this and move forward and be better. And I'm not I'm not hearing this from one of these people, and and I'm worried about that, you know, because she doesn't she doesn't realize right now, she's sick, she needs healing, and she needs a lot she needs to let us love her and discipline so that she could still be doing ministry. And I'm afraid that she's not gonna allow that discipline to happen, and then she's not going to be able to serve with us anymore. And that's hard, you know, and I think sometimes as, as the body of believers, we get real quick to judge other people, and we forget when we're sick. And if we don't learn to be re- uh, repentant, and we don't learn to confess, and we don't learn to be, have forgiveness, that we can't move and we can't be healed, truly healed in the Lord, you know, to walk with him the way he wants us to walk with him, to be able to share things with people the way he wants us to share with them, that they can, that they can see we're broken too, you know, that we, that we mess up too, that we're not perfect, that oftentimes the church, the broad sense of the church takes a stance of condemnation. And I'm not saying that sometimes that's not needed, you know, they need to hear these couple people they need to hear that what they did was wrong and i don't want to harp on it too much But they need to hear that they need to hear that there's discipline to be had from that but they also need to hear that we love them and we're trying to tell them that but they don't want to they're tuning that part out you know they're they they do not want to hear that they don't want to admit that what they did was wrong and, and i think we take that stance too often that we get kind of proud and we get you know puffed up and we you know i do that sometimes the lord has to bring me down after the fact sometimes and really teach me, you know, you're not, you're not too good to be held accountable. You're not too good to hear that what you did was wrong. You're not too good, you're not too good. And oftentimes we think we got it right. You're wrong, we're right. Our way's better, your way's not. You know, I'm, I'm saved. Even though we turn a blind eye to what's going on in our own lives. And so I want to encourage you to remember that we're sick and we're in need of a healing. We want to be whole. Sometimes it takes confession and repentance to come back to the Lord. We often get caught up in the mat carrying. This is uh, our second second lesson. I want you to to catch on to in in verses ten through thirteen. The Jews therefore said to him, "Who who was let's see, sorry." The Jews therefore said to him, "Who was who was cured?" It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your mat and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. Don't get caught up in the mat carrying. See, I think uh, the Jewish leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, we can assume, they knew this guy in my mind, they knew this guy. He laid at the Pool of Bethesda for 38 years. They probably had walked through that area, they had seen this guy, they knew him, he'd been there a long time, didn't have any family, didn't have anybody to help him into the waters, he had been there. They knew him, he comes walking up one day, carrying his mat, happens to be the Sabbath day. They don't say, whoa, you're healed, what happened to you today? Did you get pushed into the water? I mean, that's crazy, you're walking. They say to him, but don't you know it's the Sabbath and you're not allowed to carry that mat on the Sabbath day? But what's wrong with you? They get completely caught up in the carrying of the mat and the law that he's breaking and miss a miracle that had happened in this guy's life. And I think we oftentimes get caught up in the mat carrying and miss a miracle that's happened right in front of us. They didn't rejoice in his healing. They didn't question him about what happened. They only cared about the breaking of the law. In this life, we have to be careful about getting so caught up in all that happens around us that we forget to recognize the amazing and sometimes miraculous things that God's doing in our lives or in people's lives around us. I often share this passage, this story, with groups that come to build, and I warn them on the first day, but what we do here, building a house, and what we're gonna do over the next four days can become mat carrying. It can become all about pouring concrete, putting sticks together, and standing up walls, and putting a roof on, and you know, hanging a window, and building the door, and blah, blah, blah. It can, be all, it can become mat carrying. And we'll get so into that, that we miss the miracle that's happening for the family that we're building a house for. Because for them, they're watching a miracle happen in front of their eyes. They were living in cardboards and pallets with a dirt floor and a roof that leaked when it rained. And when it got down below freezing in the wintertime, which it does where we live in the desert, they were freezing. And here comes a group of white people who in four days have built them a house. It's a miracle for them. Have they? Oftentimes we hear. I mean, we've been praying that God would send someone to help us with a home, or that they would send help for our, our family, or you know, all kinds of different things. And we sometimes, and I'm guilty, the, the guiltiest, that I get so caught up in the building, building, building that we miss the miracle. A week will come and go, and groups will miss uh, the miracle that God did. And so we warn them, don't, don't get caught up in the mat carrying. Be here. Be present. See what God's doing. Enjoy the miracle that he has you a part of. The third lesson is we're called to a life dedicated to God. In verses 14 through 17, John chapter 5, says this, Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. The something worse isn't persecution, it isn't struggles, it isn't having to deal with the Pharisees, uh, give him a hard time about carrying his mat. The something worse isn't you're gonna get sick again and. You're not going to be able to walk again. That's not the stuff Jesus is talking about. The something worse is a life and eternity separated from God. Go and sin no more. Go and walk a life with me so that you aren't separated from God when eternity comes. That's the message Jesus was giving him that day, and it's the message that he gives us. Let us walk in a way every day that glorifies God, that we're repentant, that we confess, that we know that we fail, that we come up short, and that we recognize the only way that we can do and have eternity is through Him, through Christ. That keeps us from having the something worse. The something worse is an eternity separated from Him. He's calling us to that kind of life. So, as we look at the story, why it's important for us to know when and where it took place, why do we need to know the name of the pool where it happened. I think this stuff's really cool the way it ties together. So I want you to remember that we're all sick and in need of healing, that we don't get caught up in the mat carrying of this life, and that we live a life dedicated to Him. I also want you to remember these things because I think this is so cool about this story. That Jesus, during the Passover feast, a time that was celebrated, uh, an event that happened that Moses told the people about when they slaughtered that lamb and painted their doorposts during a feast that celebrated that, that was directly replaced by Christ dying on the cross. During that feast, Jesus came to a, to the pool of Bethesda near the sheep's gate, uh, a place of mercy, a place of kindness, a place of forgiveness, Jesus came into. Near the sheep's gate, a place that, Only the sheep that were going to go to be slaughtered for forgiveness of sins could enter into the temple. Near that place, Jesus would come and talk to a man about being whole. I think he put all those things in there so that we see that he is the fulfillment of all those things, that he is going to take the place of the sacrifice that would happen, that he will once and for all be the sacrifice that we need, that we wouldn't have to live a life separated from him, and that in that pool, he would find forgiveness for a man who needed it, that he would make him whole. That in a place uh, near the sheep's gate where the wall began to be rebuilt and it was finished, that our beginning and our end, our Jesus, our Savior, our Alpha and our Omega would heal a man and would give him salvation. All that stuff's in here in this story to point us towards him to see that he is the answer to the things in this life that we need. I love this story because of that. Because every time I read it, I get goosebumps now because every time I look at it, I see him in a new light. Because every time I see this man, I see me, I see you. I see the fact that we are sick and that we need healed. And the only way we can do that is through the realization that we are first sick and that we're called to a better life, that we see miracles around us daily. And I wanna encourage you guys that uh, You can live that life. I don't know where you're at or where where you are today, um, but I do know this, that that he died for you, that you're the sick person he's talking about, that you're the man that's been laying there for 38 years and that he wants you to come home, that he wants you to be healed today, that he wants you to know him in a way you've never known him. And uh, so let's pray. Father, I'm thankful this morning, God, that you have called us to a different life, that, God, that you would uh, hold us accountable uh, to the fact that we are the sickest of the sick, that no one needs you more than we do, that no one needs you more than the person that I'm gonna have a conversation with next, and that, Father, that you would help us to make uh, you as real and as alive as when we read the stories in in the Bible, and that, Father, that we can help them see you reflected in us. Father, I love you. I thank you for your son. It's in his name I pray, amen.
2: Well, at this time, if you want to stand, we're just going to respond and worship together. And if you have any needs at all, anything that you, in your life, that you need healing for, uh, that you would like to be prayed over, uh, maybe it's some sins you need to confess, maybe it's just some circumstances that that uh, you need healing in your life or in the lives of others. Um, Would love for you to come up and and get prayer. I know uh, Cody will be up here and we have elders who will be available and some prayer warriors who would love to pray. Uh, If you need some time of of private prayer, um, I know Dana and his wife are in the back in the fireside room and would love to pray over you for healing. James talks about um, confessing our sins to one another so that you may be healed. And so maybe this time as we sing these songs, as we pray these songs of confession together, um, maybe it's time for you to to come forward in an act of faith and and ask for healing uh, in this time.
3: Temptation comes my way When I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and state Sing that again To teach my song to we'll rise to you so when temptation comes is yeah. there yeah.
4: Everything I want, held dear, I count it all as loss, lead me to the cross. Oh, love, boy. I want how oh dear I can't